Join me, if you would, in Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 16 through 18, this morning. A passage I thought maybe I'd set my sights on the end of the chapter, and it turns out there's going to be three more before the end of the chapter, so... I'm slow, but I think that that's good to get uh, into the deeper things in each passage. <laughs> um, so let's pray, and then we'll do, uh, get into God's holy word. Our Father, in this world, we are surrounded by untruth on all sides. The evil one, the deceiver, is looking to devour us. And even our own flesh assails us to keep us from doing what we want to do. But your words are pure words. They're like silver refined in a furnace seven times. You will keep those words and you will protect your people. And guide us, we pray, into all truth. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 5:16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Amen. It's God's Word. You may be seated. Uh, my son Abel is he knows the things that will hurt him <laughs> we've taught him that but for some reason like he'll, if you leave a knife too close to his area or if he happens upon some scissors rather than leave it alone he lifts it up and says owie, owie, owie he, he knows better and yet he can't help himself he, he's got to announce that he has an owie thing we too know better than to indulge the desires of the flesh. Uh, of course, they harm us. They make us feel good, but then they harm us. They put us at odds with each other. They put us at odds with God. The desires of the flesh are detrimental to our health, spiritual health. And yet we reach out and grab it anyways. And maybe we even announce, Are we? <laughs> Uh, there's two worldly responses to desires of the flesh that I thought of. Um, one is very familiar is the old follow your heart line. Uh, I just kind of typed in like, follow your heart and found a blog and with, an, with a kind of generic uh, definition of this, promoting this idea. This, this person said, so following your heart means listening to your inner guidance. Or to put it in modern terms, listening to your inner GPS. We all have a guidance system within us waiting to help us. But we have to be willing to listen. 
So I think some might call that in certain circles like an energy or a chakra or, you know, there's all manner of of inner voices that we can tune into uh, listening to your heart, which is essentially uh, to let the desire guide you. The other response that we see is the buck up soldier response. It identifies correctly that that our desires are killing us. They're damaging us. And so this uh, buck up soldier response encourages self-discipline, self-denial, delayed gratification. I was listening to a, a podcast, which is radio on the internet, for those who don't know. <laughs> a podcast by a fellow named Jocko. He was interviewing a Marine. It was an interesting uh, interview. Um, but this guy, Jocko, is a Navy SEAL. He has muscles like twice the size of my head on his arms. He teaches people. He, he's kind of a motivational guy, and he teaches people work hard, self-discipline, get up early, these kind of things. Uh, and you can actually buy audio tracks of him talking to you, telling you why it's a good thing to get up early, why it's a good thing to go to the gym when you don't feel like it. This buck-up soldier response is uh, desires are recognized as danger, but, but they're looking to the flesh to kill the flesh. They're looking within themselves to kill what's within themselves. That makes sense. So those are the two worldly uh, ways of dealing with desire that I, I identified: the follow your heart and the buck up soldier. The problem Paul encounters in preaching the gospel of grace is the false accusation that people will just do whatever they want. If you give them grace, they'll just follow their own desires. which proceeds from a right concern for holiness and piety, but a misunderstanding of the gospel of grace. Their response in Galatians of the Judaizers was the second one, the the buck-up soldier, get-your-act-together mentality. Paul taught us last week, You are free from the law, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So he preemptively answered that licentiousness argument already. Paul and the Judaizers are on the same page in that we should not be controlled by the desires of our flesh. They they agree on that. But they disagree on the how question. And the how happens to be the difference between grace and works righteousness and salvation and damnation ultimately. So how do we deal with the desires of the flesh? Can we just follow our hearts? Um... Can the answer be, buck up, soldier, get it together, stop being a wimp? You can do it if you try. This passage this morning answers the how question. How do we go about denying the desires of the flesh that are so hard to us? And how do we do it without relying on our flesh, our own flesh, and, and so deny the gospel of grace in the process? Paul answers this question in, in this format, which will be our headings for this morning. Um, exhortation, result, explanation, and consolation. So exhortation, walk by the Spirit. That's the exhortation. The result, if you walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Then there's an explanation, this understanding, this is hard. There's a war between flesh and spirit. And then the consolation that if we're led by the Spirit, though we struggle, we're not under the condemnation of the law. So exhortation, resolve, explanation, and consolation. So first, exhortation, walk by the Spirit. Paul said in verse 13, do not give opportunity for the flesh. And now, at least the Judaizers take that and run with it. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's the exhortation. Walk by the Spirit. So again, we need some definitions. So we'll talk briefly about some of what walking by the Spirit is not. Uh, you know, what, what does that mean, walking by the Spirit? I think we were talking about that this week, the Badgets and I out here by the painting. What, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Does that mean we enter some higher plane of consciousness? as we go through life? Do we tap into a source of emotional ecstasy? Is the, is the Holy Spirit just a kind of a substitute for that inner chakra thing? What is walking with the Spirit? And you can see the problem I'm driving at. Uh, it's an ancient problem. It's called Gnosticism. An ancient heresy. The Bible dealt much with Gnosticism. It's alive and well today in in the church. Remember, Gnosticism taught that we have to access a higher plane of knowledge, of understanding. Based on the teachings uh, of Plato, a philosophy that said material is bad, spiritual is good. We need to be rid of the material and enter the spiritual realm. That's an oversimplification probably, but... um, You can see how this, this applies to denying the desires of the flesh. If we're saying... Deny the desires of the flesh by accessing this higher plane of spiritual knowledge. If that's what walking by the Spirit means. If we're saying, sensing the stirrings of the Spirit within. If we're saying that, there's some real problems with that. Gnostic problems. For one, it puts sanctification out of reach for those Christians who aren't quite feeling the stirrings. It also creates classes within Christianity, the haves and the have-nots. And it turns Christians inward, looking for sensation. And at times, even counterintuitively, removes the personal relationship with the Spirit because we're seeking out a force rather than a person. So walking... By the Spirit is, is not entering a higher plane of knowledge or consciousness. So a few things uh, what walking by the Spirit is, and I actually started listing them and I came up with ten and I could come up with a thousand. Uh, it's kind of following Owen a bit from his book on the Holy Spirit. Um, so we'll go through these rather quickly, some in more detail than others. What walking by the Spirit means. Uh, first of all, the most important in our context is, is uh, walking by the Spirit is living as the new man. So you have these dichotomies in Scripture. Um, Adam versus Christ. Old man, new man. Flesh, spirit. These are all the same thing. It's the difference between the regenerate man and the unregenerate man. So that's Paul's main point here, is that spirit and flesh are opposed To walk in the Spirit is to live in the new man, to live in Christ rather than in Adam. 
Uh, the second one is that li- walking by the Spirit is reliance on grace through faith and not works on the, of the law. Uh, works of the law are deeds done by the flesh only. We walk in the Spirit when we don't rely on ourselves, but we rely on the Spirit, on the new man. Instead, we trust in God's grace. So walking by the Spirit is very much the same thing as walking by faith. It's a reliance on God and His grace. Third one, uh, listening to our sanctified conscience. Walking by the Spirit is listening to our sanctified conscience. I don't want to suggest that by rejecting this sort of Gnostic spiritualism of our day that there's no personal communication between us and the Spirit. As regenerated people, we can listen, not to our internal GPS, but to the indwelling Spirit. And the manner in which we kind of tune in is through our conscience as it's informed by the Word of God. When we're pricked by the con- by our conscience through the Word, so I like that term, sanctified conscience. It's better than the word like impressions. Sanctified conscience. But we have to remember in this process, we're not yet glorified, and we also have a corrupted portion of our conscience. So you can't tune into that alone. You have to have the Word as well. Number four, setting our minds on things of the Spirit. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Romans 8, we read it earlier. We'll read it again in this sermon. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So walking according or by the Spirit is thinking about godly things, about things of heaven. Number five, this one was taken straight from Owen, is that we are caused to cherish the principle of holiness in our souls. If we love holiness, if we care about pleasing the Lord, we are walking by the Spirit. Number six, acting out the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll get into, Lord willing, next week. Um, They are fruit with walking with the Spirit, but also when we enact them, we further kill the flesh. For example, kindness begets more kindness within our souls, as anger begets more anger within our souls. Number seven, dependence on God's supply of sufficient grace. We'll keep moving here. Number eight, uh, use of the means of grace. Again, we want to tap into some higher knowledge or, or witness extraordinary activities of the Spirit. But He has ordained ordinary means of grace to, to impart grace to us. Um, so making use of the Word and the sacraments and prayer are really the most essential, indispensable, and efficacious way to walk by the Spirit and to kill the flesh. Number nine, um, the application of the cross The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who who applies our salvation to us. And he also reminds us of the power of the cross. Um, So we need to be applying the cross to our daily lives. As he says in chapter 5, verse 24, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
One of the best ways to put to death the desires of our hearts in our flesh is to remember the cross. That that we know we we have died to our our passions and desires with Christ. And finally, number ten is the constant reminder of Christ. We know that the Holy Spirit is not the um, star of the Trinity, if you will, but He points to Christ. John 15:26. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. So walking in the Spirit is thinking about Christ, is looking to Christ, is hearing the witness about Christ. It's all about Christ for the Holy Spirit. So I notice a consistent theme in all ten of these, and we could truly go through many more. But walking by the Spirit is a rejection of self-dependence and a complete dependence on God. That's to sum it up particularly a dependence on His grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that may not be the sensational, kind of radical, mind-altering thing we're after. Well, not we're after, but we've been after at some point in our lives. But that's what we need. Because by the gift of faith in the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit unites us to Jesus. and He's conforming us to His image. He's renewing us day by day. And that really actually is a life-altering, radical, sensational experience. And the one we should be after. So the exhortation here is walk by the Spirit. Uh, Next is the result. The result is that we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I take this as a promise. I think you could say, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or, to the degree that you are walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And this so informs our response to temptation. Uh, Rather than doing what the Judaizers and legalists would have us do, which is follow a list of rules and laws, uh, or what motivationalists would have us do, people with muscles twice the size of our head, is to dig deep and find our inner strength and our inner purpose and man up and do what we need to do to make it happen. Instead, we turn to the grace of the Spirit in all the ways and more that we just listed. Justification is by grace alone through faith alone. Is that also true of sanctification? Sanctification is by grace alone through faith alone. So why does he address us in the form of exhortation? And seemingly with a conditional result, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can a a Spirit-indwelt Christian do otherwise but walk in the Spirit? Yes, we can. If we're truly regenerated, there will be a general uphill trend walking with the Spirit, but there is this perpetual war between the indwelling flesh and the indwelling Spirit, which Paul addresses in the next verse, and we'll get into. Um, and sanctification, though, even though it's ultimately a work of God and His free grace, requires 
ongoing and and spirit-empowered effort on the part of the Christian. Owen is helpful here. A little bit edited for clarity because it's Owen. (laughs) If Christ is our life, we must diligently seek and wait for His supply of grace in the ways and means whereby they are communicated. For though the Lord Christ gives them freely and bountifully, yet our diligence and duty will give the measure of receiving them. If we are negligent in prayer, meditation, reading and hearing the word, and other ordinances of divine worship, we have no ground to expect any great supplies to this end. You see what he's saying there? If I say I'm hungry but I don't come to the table, I'm not hungry. God has set a table for us. Many fine delicacies of abundant grace. And we, we kind of sit on the couch and bemoan our own weakness and our sins and complain, why doesn't God make me better? It's like, why doesn't God nourish me intravenously? Because His food tastes so good and because the saints are at the table and because He's at the table. He wants us to share in the abundance of food which He supplied. And we complain that God is not putting our sin to death quicker. That He's not supplying the spiritual energy we desire. Meanwhile, He set the dining table and called us to eat and drink our fill. He said, My grace is sufficient for you. Come, receive, and apply My grace. So if you're struggling with a particular temptation, an ongoing sin, or with spiritual lethargy and apathy, Ask yourself, am I walking according to the flesh? Am I eating from the table of the world? Am I trying to set my own table? Or am I waiting around for God to magically fill me up? He's prepared a table for us and we can come and eat. We must not be negligent though. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That, that's a promise if you'll pardon the expression that you can take to the bank. You will not win victory over the flesh by waiting for it to go away or by indulging it or by waiting for God to bring you breakfast in bed. Get up and go to the table. Fight sin with the means He's given you to fight it. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit, to put the flesh to death in you. And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not deny. You will not. You will deny the desires of the flesh. Now, there's a problem with this exhortation to walk in the Spirit, uh, and that problem is it's really, really hard. The reason it's really hard is that our flesh will not go away. It just hangs around. You can't get rid of it. Our flesh wars against the Spirit. So why should we walk in the Spirit in order to deny the flesh? It's because the war between the flesh and the Spirit makes denying the flesh difficult. That's why we need the Holy Spirit and we can't do it in our own flesh. 
So this is the explanation portion of the text in verse 17, that our flesh is not sufficient to fight against itself. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I sometimes watch this small-scale Canadian farmer guy on YouTube. Uh, he's very opinionated. He had a video a while back where this, this person, apparently there's this department over internships, and they told him you can't offer free internships um, because that's taking advantage, and then they proceeded to lecture him on the morality of it. So he's responding to this email. Um, and, and, and But I like the title. He says, Everything I want to do is illegal. <laughs> that was the title of the video. In his case, a justifiable complaint. Uh, in our case, we could call it a confession. Maybe we could say, everything I want to do is sin. Everything I want to do is sin. Do we believe that? Do we understand that about ourselves, that our flesh and our inner Adam and our old man, every last thing we want to do, even things done in the name of good, in the name of piety, are sin. Our wills, our want to, is utterly corrupted by sin. Literally, he says here, the flesh desires against the spirit and the spirit desires against the flesh. They are, he says, opposed to one another. The things we want and the the things the Spirit want are opposites. This is the universal testimony of Scripture, um, James 1, 13 through 15. But each person is tempted, 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by someone outside himself. When he's tempted and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to death, to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Uh, Jesus is no more optimistic than Paul and James about fallen humanity. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. And he says in John 6:63, it is the spirit who gives life. And I like this. The flesh is no help at all. <laughs> He's that guy who hangs around who's no help at all. And he says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's Christ's words that are spirit and life. <clears throat> and Paul says in Romans 7, 18 through 19, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have desired to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. It's the same thing that he says here. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The flesh keeps us from godly affliction, uh, affections and deeds. Why then would we turn to the flesh to solve that problem with our flesh? 
That's the point. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, to solve that problem. That's like trying to grow grass by watering it with, with Roundup Ground Clear. Well, ground, ground Clear is wet. Grass likes wet. Let's put that on it. Trying to solve the problem with our flesh with our flesh is foolish. Paul commented on this uh, notion even back in chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. He said, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Flesh cannot perfect flesh. So that's his explanation, that, that it's difficult, that there's a war between flesh and spirit. And now, finally, we have consolation. Despite this realism that there's no hope of perfection in this life, and though the battle rages on in our flesh, never really dies, uh, we're consoled that we are not under the law if we're in the spirit. Verse 18, But if you are led by the spirit... You are not under the law. Our hope amidst a slow, a painfully slow sanctification is glorification and justification. The the sanctification process is so slow. Our flesh wins out more than we want. It keeps us from doing what we want to do. And not because the Spirit is weaker than flesh, but because in God's providence, growth in grace, truly leaning and depending upon God, is a process. It's like being chiseled into the image of Christ, one slow, painful chip at a time. Luther says that when we fail, we must not follow our own feelings at such times or our own reason, but should rather take hold of this saying of Paul's, if you are led by the Spirit, that is, if you raise yourselves up and take comfort through faith in Christ, you are not under the law. Why did he say that? Because He says also, um, so great then is the power and dominion of the Spirit that the law cannot accuse godly people, even though they commit what is in fact sin. This is because Christ is our righteousness and we lay hold of Him by faith. That's why the law has no power, no condemnation over those who are in the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, because we have Christ and His righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation in at least two ways. First, we're not condemned to a life of bondage to our sin. Christ has freed us us both from sin's guilt, which is the one we always talk about, and from sin's bondage. As Romans 6 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. The second way there's no condemnation is that the law can't condemn us because our righteousness is in Christ. And we'll close on that point and by reading Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. That's good news.